0: educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests expertise. Balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home.
1: Uh, Michael Cuba is a preservation joiner and co-founder of Knob Hill Joinery in Northern Vermont. He also runs a consulting and Chronology. Am I close?
2: Yep.
1: Okay. (laughs) Business under the name Transom HPC, located in Stockton, or Stockton, New Jersey. Michael has recently finished two consecutive terms on the board of directors for the Timber Frame Framers Guild, serving as president and interim executive director for 2018. He remains active on several guild councils and committees, along with Adam Miller. Michael now serves as editor of Timber Framing, the Journal of the Timber Framers Guild. Thank you for thank you for joining us today for the Practical Preservation Podcast.
2: Sure thing. Glad to do it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, um, how did you get started in preservation or timber framing, or did were they always joined for you?
2: I don't think they were uh, quite initially. Uh, when I was in college, I went to a, a small college in Vermont, uh, Goddard College, which used to have a residential program. And they did teach some timber framing there. Uh, I hadn't been thinking of it as a career at the time, uh, but the person who was an instructor was a fellow by the name of Rob Terule. And uh, Rob was involved with the uh, Fairbanks House project uh, back in the early 80s in Massachusetts. And so he has been very involved with preservation work and he came from a preservation background. Uh, So we were taught from a traditional point of view. Uh, After college, I worked at another small school, the Institute for Social Ecology, and they taught appropriate technologies and among them was timber framing. And the fellow that they hired to instruct timber framing uh, is Seth Kelly, who is now my business partner and has been for, uh almost two decades uh and he at the time was working for jan Lewandowski, uh who did a lot of historic preservation timber framing work in vermont actually he's, he's still uh, going strong and i basically begged and pleaded for him to take me to work and so i started working with uh, seth and jan doing preservation and restoration work
1: okay was that um um, I don't, I, and and you know, I know regionally the the architecture changes. But was that mostly barns, or was it different um, different structures?
2: We uh, it was very lucky. You know, we certainly did our share of barns, but um, Jan is uh, he's been around for a while, and he got a lot of good high profile jobs. So I ended up working on. Uh, a number of steeple restoration projects. Oh, wow,
1: that's exciting!
2: And uh, and some covered bridges as well. So uh, you know, I really jumped right into the fire when I started my preservation work, and, and uh, sort of started at the top. Uh, so that that was a, a fantastic introduction. I was uh, lucky to have that kind of opportunity.
1: Yes, yes. So um, is preservation your passion or is it timber frame like why why did you choose that then as your career path since it wasn't your initial you know your initial path
2: oh that's a good question um I, I was hooked on timber framing right away and doing the preservation work the old buildings that you work on tell you what works and what doesn't work and so over that first couple of years of doing preservation timber framing um, you, you would see what are the things that fail? What are the things that succeed? And over time, the buildings themselves become the best teachers. Um, you know, there's plenty of books and there's lots of people with opinions. But when you see something that's been standing for, you know, 200 plus years, right. you a sense of um, engineering, load paths, uh, general conditions, uh, and, you know, things to look out for. And I, I think if I were working in a shop building new timber frames all the time, uh, everything looks great the day you cut it. Well, it should, uh, but you don't know how it's going to fare in 50 or a hundred or 200 years. Uh, so having that opportunity to look at things that were successful uh, is, was of great interest. Uh, and the traditional aspect of it is very interesting to me. You know, there's, well, oh, there's such a wide array of traditions in timber framing. Currently, you know, there's a lot of modern timber framers right. using CNC machines, using lots of routers and, and power tools. Uh, my, my business partner has been teaching at the Yestermorrow Design Build School in Vermont for over 20 years. And he always taught students with hand tools first because it teaches mm-hmm. you about wood. And how yeah. and how grain is going to react, and how to anticipate things. You know, your your power tools can cut right through anything, but when when you just have blades in your hand, you have to think of that thing uh, a little bit differently. And so I, I I have found that that part of the tradition really appealing. Um, I.
1: That makes sense to me uh, right out of high school. I went to culinary school and you learn the French cooking, you learn the basics and then you can build anything from there. But you, you need that, that traditional, that classic foundation. So that really makes sense to me.
2: Yeah. And every once in a while we, we cut new frames in, in traditional fashions, but uh, you know, you, you, you you work for a year or two just doing preservation projects and you feel like, boy, I'm tired of old wood. I'd really like to work with something new, <laughs> a new frame, and then you're itching to get back to, you know, something old, dirty, and rotten. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So, um, so the, um, let me think. So, can you tell me a little bit about the Timber Framers Guild?
2: Sure. Um, the Timber Framers Guild is an educational nonprofit organization. It was founded in in 1985. Um, the mission of the Timber Framers Guild is to advance timber framing through research, education, and industry. Uh, the, the The sort of general vision is to enrich community through craft. Uh, so the the first and foremost uh, education is is what the guild is pushing. So partially to educate people who want to be timber framers on resources, uh, techniques, methods, you know, to just show them the world of timber framing and what's available, Um, but also for people who are uh, established if they're starting businesses, there's resources there. Um, And so the Guild hosts a big annual conference every year uh, and that's sort of the, the largest event and I know they've been uh, as big as 500 people. Uh, and then they have a lot of smaller regional events. Uh, and they often do a lot of community building projects. So over the years, uh, the Guild has gone into different communities and taught uh, you know, people from far and wide, but also people in their own communities how to build something for themselves. And so this has been, uh, since, since right around 1990, they've been doing this. Uh, and they've built a number of pavilions and farm markets and community centers, uh, welcome centers. Uh, they've done a couple of- so It's like a
1: hands-on. Very,
2: very much, um, yeah. you know, start to finish. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the more exciting projects, there was uh, a synagogue in Poland that had been destroyed during World War II. And the guild joined forces with uh, a number of European groups to rebuild that synagogue uh, it was just about 10 years ago, uh, and so that, that was a fantastic project, uh, and they, they usually do two or three of these every year.
1: Oh, that is very, very cool. Um, so, and you kind of talked about the services that the Timber Framer guilds offered, so is it more of a trade organization than, no. like, or do homeowners reach out to you, or, or property owners?
2: We do get inquiries from um, homeowners and property owners and, and DIYers, so people that are just looking for basic information or they're looking to be directed toward resources. Um, there is a full-time staff out in the office in Bellingham, Washington, uh, and, and they direct people as well as they can, but often what happens is you know, we're, we're a pretty big network uh, of talented craftspeople, and so the staff in the office will direct. Uh, inquiries to the most relevant person. And and so we have, um, there are four councils within the guild. Uh, one is t the traditional timber framers research and advisory group. Uh, I'm a part of that group and it's a, a very small group. It's only about 30 of us um, who are really dedicated to doing documentation. So to be a member of that group, you need to be presenting new material annually uh, and You don't necessarily have to publish, but you do have to present uh, new material every year uh, to maintain your membership in that group. So that's the group that's sort of doing active research about historic practices. Uh, And they do certainly a lot of writing and publication uh, and have a wonderful archive of information. There's an engineering council which has done great work in actually testing Um, engineering and loading capacities of timbers and joints and various materials
1: that's great
2: that's a lot of fun they they, uh, often set up joint busting at the conferences Uh they'll invite people to to cut you know their favorite scarf joint and they'll come and uh, hook up some potentiometers and and crush it um, see what it takes then there is also uh, an apprenticeship training program That is accredited with the US Department of Labor. And so, uh, you know, if people really want to commit and they want to become an apprentice or a journey worker, they can enroll in that program, which generally we say lasts, it takes about three years to fulfill the requirements. But at the end, uh, you know, you are certified uh, as part of an accredited program with the Department of Labor. Uh, Then there is uh, TFG Companies, which offers support for whether you're just Just getting started with business. I mean, there's always a lot to learn with business. and Plenty of business resources, but it's really hard to find things that are specific to timber framing, and that's one of the nice things that the Guild offers is that, you know, the veterans that started the Guild 30-plus years ago uh, and have been very successful can be very helpful in telling us, you know, these are the pitfalls you got to look out for. These are ways that you can streamline your operation. Um, so that, that's provided a valuable resource as well.
1: Yeah, that's, that, 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 is, that sounds like the organization offers so much and is giving so much to, to the trades in documenting and educating and also helping to build strong businesses. So I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I did not realize the, the extent of all the things that you do. Um, so,
2: and of course, we, we have all of our, our publications. So we've got uh, Scantlings, which is a newsletter that comes out six times a year. Uh, and then Timber Framing, which is a, a quarterly journal, which is more of a technical journal, a little bit less editorial. Um, and that, that's been going since 1985. Uh, I'm, I'm currently working on uh, volume 132 right now so it's it's a heck of an archive of wonderful contributions from the timber framing community
1: yeah and to be able to go back and look at that that that, that is uh, that the documentation of the work that you're doing is is going to be valuable uh moving forward and and for future timber framers so i i, I believe that um even if the, you know, the trades people need to, need to have education and things that they can look back on. Uh, because the, the, you're right, the, the best practices and the things that you've discovered that work and don't work, it helps when, you, when so, you're not reinventing the wheel every, every, every time you can go back and look and see what, what worked and what didn't.
2: That's right. And, and now that the, the Guild, I don't wanna say the Guild is getting on in years, but with uh, three decades under its belt, and <clears throat> so many projects that it's participated in. Now we're sort of going backward and looking at that as a resource that guild members are now looking at some of the early projects and evaluating. You know, how did this perform? How's this right. going up? How can we improve this? Um, yeah. so they're not reinventing the wheel, but they're definitely trying to make it a little smoother, a little rounder.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's true. I mean, I'm worried about people who aren't, who aren't going back and thinking, how can I do better? How, you know, how could, how could we have improved on this? Or how could we have, you know, now that we know what we know, how, why, how, how could we have increased the longevity or done, you know, something better, better on the project? So, um, so I, I, I know I had mentioned to you that, you know, during the news coverage of the, the, the roof fire at the cathedral at Notre Dame, um, I was hearing many newscasters, and I'll use that, that loosely because it was just pundits on TV talking <laughs> uh, about how it couldn't be rebuilt because of the lack of skilled labor and or you know materials that would match. Do you have any thoughts on that? I uh, my initial reaction was that's not true. There's timber framers all around, but I know the material might be a, a struggle. So I, I would be curious to hear what you're thinking. Um
2: I was very surprised to to hear that. You know, when I read your question, I was really struck by it. And and of course my initial reaction is that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. Right. But I'm really glad you asked the question because I, if people are saying it, then it suggests that people don't know what right. resources are available. Um, in the case of the crafts people, um, there are plenty. We train them all the time. We've been training them for, for quite some time. Uh, And our European counterparts are better at it than we are. I don't want to admit that. Well,
1: that's what I was thinking. I was thinking you're in Europe.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So the the French, um, I I don't want to butcher their name, but there's the French Compagnon. They're they're, um, an uh, apprentice guild that has been going for centuries. So for as long as there's been in Notre Dame, the French have had a tradition of teaching traditional craftsmanship in timber framing and joinery. Um, they are among the most qualified in the world to address a problem like this, and and the guild is uh, eager and willing to to pitch in and help however we can. Um, The Germans also have a very strong tradition, uh, as do uh, the the UK has the Carpentry Fellowship. Uh, So there there are guilds around the world and we all work together. When it comes to materials, I would say that the United States is among the worst in the world for forest management. I, I, I spent a lot of time in Europe uh, and Switzerland in particular and the, the forest stewardship and management that I've seen in Europe uh, is really impressive and, and really okay. sustainable. So uh, do they have these trees right in downtown Paris? I've spent time in okay. Paris. I'll say that they don't have the trees in Paris. Um, but can they can they find them within a reasonable distance? I'm fairly confident that they can. Uh, oh,
1: that's That's good to hear. and yeah, my initial thought was that these are people who probably don't talk to preservationists ever <laughs> and they don't you know they don't really understand that you, know, just because it was built eight hundred years ago, there aren't people still doing this. but I, 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 I had seen some debates then. Uh, within the um, preservation Facebook group that I'm a part of too. And I just was thinking there, I, I, it surprises me sometimes the questions that come up, you know, at different places. So, so I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that they, you know, and I, I thought that they had the people, but then I thought, well, maybe the materials will be an issue. So I'm glad to hear that they're better, better at managing their, their forests than we are, but they've had longer to kind of understand the history and understand that they need to do better. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they're, they're they're excellent stewards, and I I think you know part of what happened here was when uh, Europeans came to the New World, they saw what seemed like endless forests and an unlimited right. supply, and and unfortunately they they did not use the same care. Um, but there were forest management practices uh, at the time that Europeans came here. You know, in the the in the early sixteen hundreds. The Europeans were were very conservative with their use of forest materials, and they came here and they didn't. It went crazy. This <laughs> um, they, they sort of exploited the resource as as if it was limitless, and you know, by by the early 1800s, uh, on the in the Northeast, they were running out of forests. Um, by yes. the 1850s, you see a. A switch from primary materials to um, secondary uh, tree species in the construction. So they, they had pretty much lopped everything down.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the old growth versus the new growth. So so, what are the biggest challenges that you see um, in preservation and timber framing? Um,
2: I think you know one is definitely. Educating public uh, as to the possibilities of, of the usefulness of the resources that are historic, uh, and that they are finite and not truly replaceable. Right. Uh, you know, people certainly need to understand that there's that these structures represent not just culture, which is very important, um, but also embodied energy that you know work already went into creating those spaces, and they can be maintained um, you know, almost indefinitely. Uh, you know, no, parts of Notre Dame that burned were, were about 800 years old. Yes. Uh, so, so we really can push these structures for a long time. I think currently the biggest threat is uh, legislation. Right? I think building regulations that don't take into consideration uh, existing structures. I know that there was a change in 2017 to the, uh, there's the international existing building yes. code that came yeah. out. Um, but it hasn't necessarily been universally ad- uh, adopted. Uh,
1: um, I think that 42 states have adopted it.
2: Yes, and yeah. with that, though, it's not like they, they there was not a big news flash. They didn't really. Oh go no, no, and, Wait, we, that,
1: you that have right. to—you have to kind of fight your way in to make yeah. sure that the building inspector is going to listen to. <laughs> you have That's to right. yourself. So, <laughs>
2: um, it, it's going to take time for the yeah. for those codes to become more common practice. Uh, but you know, currently I think that that's a lot of what we, what we end up fighting with, uh, is that people with the best intentions for safety or energy efficiency, uh, want to require certain modifications to historic structures that, uh, can sometimes be a real detriment. You know, some, somebody will say, oh, we want to seal this thing up and put an HVAC system in it. And there are certain structures that you go and change the, you know, the temperature in the attic by 10 degrees and all of a sudden you've got a condensation problem and you right. where you never did. Yeah,
1: not, not understanding how all the systems work together.
2: So uh, you know, there, there's, there's a gap between the building sciences and understanding and, and uh, incorporating or accommodating historic architecture.
1: Yes. Yes. so have you noticed any trends? Um, I, I know that you have a big educational component. Have you noticed any trends in, in timber framing or in preservation?
2: Um, yes, I, I, I think you know, there, there's a lot of trends. When, when you look at the history of timber framing in the United States, um, during the, right around 1850, you know, people started moving away from timber framing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, of course, in the 1860s, we had the Civil War, and we lost a lot of talent and and knowledge. And that, combined with deforestation and uh, the popularity of ro- romance revival architecture, gave us you know, a pretty solid 100-year period where we didn't have timber framing, and there wasn't a lot of good material written down right the people that founded the guild in 85 a lot of them were sort of the back to landers i'll I'll admit there's a lot of old hippies in the group Um, (laughs) and they really did have to reinvent the wheel they sort of had to deconstruct things look at things try to figure it out Um, and they they put great effort into it but i i would say I've seen, reading all of the material that's been, not, not that I've read everything that's been generated in the last 50 years, but uh, I do read quite a bit and I have noticed uh, a lot of a lot of broad concepts had been put forward uh, in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. Um, and during the last couple of decades, I think a lot of the nuance has been sussed out, a lot of broad notions have been squashed. Uh, or at least people are starting to understand uh, the regional specificity of different methods uh, and, and modes of timber framing. Um, so you know that's that's one issue um, material choices, material handling uh, there's certainly a big difference, especially you know because we're a national organization, you've got timber framers on the east Coast working under a different set of rules than timber framers on the west coast right and they're, you know, they're building and engineering for seismic loads that are not necessarily a consideration here. And so they're often required to use metal fasteners and, and other reinforcements that we wouldn't normally consider incorporating in our timber frame. So uh,
1: do they do that in conjunction with the um, traditional, like, like a mortise and tenon joint, or do they do it Um, Unfortunately,
2: it's often in lieu of, uh, you know, it it, it ends up being belt and suspenders, you know, and one of the tricky things is when you're using a lot of those metal fasteners and metal connections, there's also a requirement that there's, I I think, I I was going to say, don't quote me, but since this is live, um, (laughs) I I think you're required to have roughly two inches of wood uh, protecting that metal. So in the case of fire. Um, so we know how wood burns and we, we know that metal also fails catastrophically in that it doesn't really give you a lot of an indication when it's going to go. The timber, you can watch what's happening. You get a sense of how much time you have that that's pretty well known. So, um, you know, they do have to, there are ratios of combining, uh, the metal fasteners and how they're protected by the timber. Um, but oftentimes in the location where you would expect to see a mortise and tenon, uh, there's a set of metal fasteners holding things together. So in some cases it ends up being heavy timber construction rather than timber framing. Um, and of course, you know, there are a lot of people, I, I feel like the vast majority of people building new timber frames are really building hybrids. You know, they won't have a fully timbered sill system. Uh, there's no stub tenants on the post feet which is fine so there's there's a lot of integration of modern systems with the timber like frame yeah. part of it um, so but you know there it, there's so many trends rising and falling but educationally i think people understand timber frames and what you can do with the timber and the joinery far more now than they did 30 years ago
1: Okay, so how can someone get in contact with you, the Guild, and I'll put all this information on our sure. website
2: too. Um, I'm easy to find. I'm all over the Guild website. Uh, okay. But uh, so if you go to the t track page and you're trying to find out how to become involved with the traditional timber framing and research research and advisory group, um, there's a, a link to, to my email there, which is Cuba Um And Anybody looking to get in touch with the Timber Framers Guild, you can go to info at tfguild.org. Uh, so we're, we're pretty easy to find. We're all over the place.
1: Okay. And I'll make sure there's a link to the website too. Yeah. Uh, are, there gonna, are you having any um, seminars or any um, uh, events coming up that you want to promote?
2: Constantly. There's always okay. something coming up. So uh, our big conference this year is gonna be up in uh, Manchester uh, University or Southern New Hampshire University in Manchester, New Hampshire. And that is at the beginning of August. There's information starting to get posted about that on the website. Uh, There will be uh, an engineering symposium offered as a a pre-conference event. There is also going to be a a pre-conference tour offered uh, sort of part of the T TRAG track. There's going to be four different tracks in that conference, which is usually what we do uh, four or five tracks. So there will be um, skills, business, design, and engineering, and his, history. Uh, and the, the, there will be a trade show there as well. And naturally, things like axe throwing and, and other,
0: <laughs> other. Of course.
2: We do have, you know, we had a couple of events that just passed um, trainings for uh, non-destructive evaluation of timber. Uh, we had a timber grading course, and we had another course in documentation, uh, another one in engineering. Uh, there will be a rendezvous at the Garland Mill, which is a wonderful place in northern Vermont, uh, and that'll be early October, I'm going to say the first and second. Um, but all of these things are, are listed on the website. Okay. and If you, you sign up on the website and you can get the weekly guild notes, which uh, usually has a list at the bottom of all of the events and things. All
1: like the events that. coming up. Okay. Very good. Well, yeah. thank you. Is there anything else that you feel like you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to?
2: Oh boy. I could probably talk about the guild all day. So go to the website you. and awesome. you
1: know,
2: if you're not a member sign up, if if you want to know, about timber framing um, if if nothing else the timber framers guild is the best networking tool
1: it sounds like it I, I, I wish that there was something as well built out for um, preservation like woodworking as, as the guild sounds like it is
2: there are I mean there there are some um, yeah,
1: it's, it just doesn't seem as well built out but we no. don't have Talk about that yeah. on the podcast. Sure. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, thank you very much for for uh, for joining um, joining us today.
0: Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices dot forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.